0: study sheet you good all right sweet I know all right okay so uh tonight wow I hear an echo of myself way more than normal it's kind of weird all right <clears throat> okay so tonight we're going to be starting our how to say the Bible series I am excited about this series I am severely pumped like severely <laughs> like stoked about this <laughs> severely pumped. yes so I am, I, am, I am ready to go with this. this. This study excites me, and it is a great reminder to me of things that I've learned a long time ago. Um, so every time I go through it, it's just a great refresher for me just to kind of get these things back into my heart and into my mind. Um, I honestly believe this with all my heart. If you will take these things that you learned tonight and you put them into practice, starting tomorrow. Anytime you open up the Bible tomorrow, whether you get up early in the morning before school and you read, if you have time during study hall, if you do it in the evening when you come home from school, whenever, put these things into practice. The way this study is gonna be designed is that we've got our introduction tonight. We're gonna spend a little bit of extra time on an introduction, on some important details just to set the groundwork. And then starting next week, we're gonna go over um, rule number one. And rule number one, after we go through the details of it, we're actually going to go through passages of the Bible in small groups, and you need to utilize that rule of Bible study with that particular passage. So I'm really excited about it because it's going to be more interactive. And so um, if you happen to miss in the evening. Make sure that you get caught up on the podcast because we're going to make sure to include all that information on the podcast as well. If you need the podcast information, just make sure to shoot me a text or say something in me, and I'll make sure to get it in there. All right, so we've got our introduction to how to study the Bible. All right, so the first thing that we need to talk about right out of the gate with our introduction tonight is we need to talk about that God... And his words cannot be separated. This is a very important concept that I want to make sure that you understand, because there's a lot of Christians that they separate God from the Bible. They think that they can understand God and have a good relationship with God without getting into his words. And that is not possible. God and his word cannot be separated. And so there's some verses I want to show you, but I want to explain this concept first, because before we get into anything else, you've got to get this down um you are known in this world by two things anybody want to take a guess the sum of your life or you are known for two things in this world what are they what you do and what you say. yes what you do and what you say your words and your actions those two things define who you are the things that you say the things you do they end up developing a um what's the word i'm thinking of a word uh, reputation they develop a reputation, and they build your character, whether it's for good or for bad, but you are known for your works. Now, how many of you guys know people that say one thing and then do the other thing? What do we call those people? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Where they say, I care about you, but they turn around and they stab you in the back. Jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's very familiar with those guys. So... I mean, does anyone like to be a hypocrite? Anyone like being called a hypocrite? No, we don't. And so in order to not be a hypocrite, you have to be a person of your word. The things that you say matches up with the things that you do, this is very important. And a lot of times things go awry in our relationships because we are hypocrites. We say one thing and then we do something different. We say we're going to be there and then we're unfaithful. We say we're gonna do this and we fail at that responsibility. And so when it comes to this concept, is God a hypocrite? No. no. How can he be? If God is who he says he is, according to the scriptures, God cannot be a hypocrite. If God is a hypocrite, what are we doing here? And I mean that with all my heart. I remember I had an opportunity. I was in Ireland and I was talking to a guy, I had a great, great witnessing opportunity and uh, I remember that it took about five, six years before they finally came to the point where they, they actually came to hear the gospel. So we had a youth activity. They came, we had some fun and stuff, and then we were gonna have some pizza later. But I had the opportunity to, to open up the Bible and to share the gospel and share about Jesus Christ with these guys. And before they were never really interested. And they really weren't interested in this point in time either, but I had, a, I had the opportunity. And I remember that when I was done and we were gonna go over and eat pizza, Uh, I had asked these guys, and I said, hey, so what did you think about what what I shared? And they're like, wow, that is amazing. We've never heard anything like that before. Now, mind you, all these boys grew up in Catholic school. So they had heard things about God, about Jesus, about the Spirit of God, and about the Bible, but it had nothing to do with what I talked about from the Bible. And so I shared the gospel, and they were like, wow, we've never heard anything like that before. And then afterward, one of those guys came up to me privately, and he said, you know, the things you talked about, like with Adam and Eve and the devil out of Genesis, do you actually believe those things? And you know what I said to him? Absolutely. Absolutely I do. Because if one part of the Bible is wrong, I can't believe any of it. If God is a liar in one part, just one small part of his Bible— I need to throw my Bible out. I am basing my eternity and what I believe about eternity on what this book says. So if there is an error in this book, what am I doing? Why am I going to church? Why am I saying that I'm a Christian? Why do I say I love God if God is a liar? If God is a liar, this all is a sham. And so I mean that with all my heart and I will talk to people and I will say, if you can show me one error in the scriptures, if you can show me God contradicting himself just one time, and it's actually proven to be true, I'm done. I'm done. I will walk away. Because I am a preacher of the Bible, of the gospel. I am a minister of these things. And so if I, how could I in good conscience get paid from the church if this is all a lie? It doesn't make any sense. And so you have to understand that God and his words cannot be separated. You can't. And the Bible is very clear on this. I want to share a few scriptures with you on this one. So God and his words cannot be separated. John 1, 3, take a look up at it. In the beginning was the, what is that? Word. What is that word? It's word, 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 but it's capitalized. And the word was with God and the word was God. So it's not God the Father. Here we see the word is a person named the word. And then it says the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Down in verse 14, does anyone know what John 1, 14 says? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who who is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus. So Jesus' name is the word. The word of God. The manifestation of who God is. They can physically see him. They can hear him. They can be around him. He's called the word of God. It's not the only time Jesus is called the word. In Revelation 19, 13, it says, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. So Jesus's name is the word of God. So you can't separate God's word, the word of God from God himself. It's impossible. Just like you can't be separated from your word. You are a person of your word. Now, whether your word is good or not, that's all dependent upon your behavior. But God is someone where his word is good because he is faithful, because he's not a liar. Titus 1, 2 says that God who cannot lie promised before the world began, talking about salvation. So God can't lie. All right, let's take a look at this passage. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to show you this because now that we know that God and his word are on the equal playing field, I want you to see this passage because I want to show you how uh, how much importance God puts upon his Bible, upon his word. So 2 Peter chapter 1. And our focus is 19 through 21, but I want to back up a few verses. So Take a look at chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, um, verse 16. So Peter's speaking here, and he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. There's a lot of people out there today that believe that Christianity is just a cunningly devised fable. It's a fake story that has no substance. It's not true. There's so many people that are walking around with that excuse to not consider what the Bible has to say. But Peter says very specifically, we've not followed cunningly devised fables, and he's going to prove that. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God, Jesus, he received from God the Father, honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So what circumstances is he talking about here in these verses? What part of the Gospels is he talking about? There's a certain phrase that we use for this story. What's it called? The transfiguration. The transfiguration where Jesus went up on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus was transfigured before them. So he literally was in his glorified state, and he was talking with two people, Moses. Moses and Elijah. And so these guys woke up from sleep, and they saw Moses and Elijah and how they were talking with Jesus, and then what did they want to do? They wanted to build tabernacles, which if you study anything about the tabernacle in the Old Testament, that sucker was huge. They wanted to build three of them to worship Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. So Peter wasn't in his right mind, but that's kind of just how he reacted. And we can tend to do the same things in our own lives. And so they saw Jesus glorified. And that was a vision of what the second coming is going to be like, Jesus coming back in his glorified state. So he says, we've not followed these cunningly devised fables. We saw him. We saw what Jesus was, is going to be like in his glorified state. And we heard God's voice from heaven. Now, how many of you have heard God's voice? Anybody? <laughs> no one. Do you know why? Anybody? Because there are some Christians out there that think that they can actually hear God's voice. Okay. So we don't need to hear God's voice. Why do we want to hear it? Why don't we need to hear it? Yes, and also it's going to come back during the tribulation period. There's signs and wonders are going to come back during that time too. Yes, but why do you not need to hear God today? Yeah, yes, yep. According to Romans chapter one, you have creation around you that tells you about God. And it actually says that if you are willing to study creation, you will will find the Trinity. You will find God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter two, It talks about how you have the word of God and the word of God itself. Actually, no, in chapter two, it talks about how you have your conscience. And then in chapter three, it talks about how you have the word of God. So the three things that you have, you don't need to hear the audible voice of God because God's audible voice is actually out there in creation if you're just willing to listen to it. It's already in your conscience because he wrote his law in your heart. And it's right here in your Bible if you're willing to listen to it. And in fact, there's a lot of people, I I think of the passage in Luke 16, The rich man and Lazarus, if you guys remember that story where you had the rich man and Lazarus, they both, uh, the rich man ends up going to hell and Lazarus is carried to Abraham's bosom. And this is where the Bible teaches about how uh, before Christ died and was resurrected again, anyone in the Old Testament who had died didn't go to heaven where God's throne is. They were actually taken to this place called Abraham's bosom. And it talks about how there's this great gulf that's fixed between. So on the one side, you had the people that were in hell, the rich man. And on the other side, you had the people that's called in Abraham's bosom or paradise. You had lazarus over there and the rich man sees lazarus and abraham and he's 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 tormented so much in in the in the flames of hell that he wants lazarus just to take the tip of his finger and dip it in cool water and let it drop on the rich man's tongue that it would relieve him just for a moment from the pain that he's feeling while he's there and then he says well it's not possible we have this gulf that's fixed and you can't pass here we can't pass there and then remember what the rich man said what did the rich man say Send someone to my family because I don't want them to come here. Send Lazarus. And you know what Abraham said? Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they're not willing to hear what the Bible says, they will not hear even though one rose from the dead and showed up at their doorstep. So that gives you an idea a little window into the unseen world and how much importance God places on it. All right, so with this passage, they heard God's voice. They heard his audible voice of God. Now look at verse 19. So they heard this voice in verse 18. Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, which is the scriptures, whereunto ye do well, do ye take heed? Take heed to it as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, That no prophecy of the scripture, the scripture, is of any private interpretation. So you can't take just one part of the Bible and make it say whatever you want. That's not how this works out. Have any of you ever had your words taken out of context? Like you said something and then somebody twisted it around in order to hurt you or hurt other people? How many of you love that? (laughs) Totally. That's like one of my, if you ever want to get on my good side, just take my words, twist them, and then repeat them around everywhere. Sound good? Yeah, all right. It's one of my love languages. Just kidding. (laughs) No, it's not. No one likes that. So, so if you don't like that happening to you, how do you think God feels? How do you think God feels that when there are Christians that that bust open their Bible and take a certain verse and then throw it in someone else's face? How do you think God feels when people abuse His Word in order to control other people? Because there's a ton of people out there in religion out in the world today that will use the Bible to control people. God is ticked about that. There is no scripture that's of any private interpretation. Verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So this kind of tells you how the Bible came to be. Uh, The Spirit of God moved someone to speak, and those spoken words were then written, and then we have record of that, which we'll go into that uh, later on in the study as well. But here's what I want you to see. Peter just said in verse 16, 17, 18... We saw Jesus in the flesh. We saw him in his glorified state. We heard God the Father. And then the conclusion is verse 19. We have a more sure word of prophecy. So if you were to see God face to face, if you were to hear God's audible voice, you would do well to trust what this book says over anything else that you see and anything that you hear. That's how how much importance God places upon his book. This book is so sure that God wants you to trust this over anyone that shows up saying that I'm God, that I'm Jesus, that I'm the promised Messiah, that any voice that you hear. Because how can you trust those voices? Let's kind of work this out for a second. How can you trust that voice? How could you trust that person that you see that says these things? What would you have to do? Yes. Take the things that were spoken, open up the Bible and say, okay, is that true? So if you have to take what that person says, that invisible person that gives you an audible voice or that person that shows up declaring all these things, and if you have to take those things and measure them against the scriptures to know if they're true, then why do you need the voice? Why do you need the person? You already have the standard. This is why so many Christians fall prey in the charismatic movement when they believe in modern-day prophets and speaking in tongues and the extra word of revelation and all those things that get very, very out of hand because what ends up happening is that they take the authority of the word of God away and they begin to trust in people. And how do you know they're legit? I know a lot of con artists that are out there. And there's a lot of people that are con artists that stand behind pulpits that use the Bible to declare God's name and Jesus' name, and they're making loads of money. And I'm telling you, God is very upset about that. He's very upset about that. So this is something that's very, very important. God and his word cannot be separated. God and his word cannot be separated. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's go ahead and turn there. 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's take a look at that. This one's a good one. I love this one. 2 Timothy 3.16. All right, somebody read this one. 2 Timothy 3.16. All right, Emily. And do 17 is, as well. You said and 17? Yeah, 16 and 17. Okay. Okay, so let's step through this really slow. All Scripture. So how much Scripture? All. all. of it. Okay, not part of it, all of it. God meant every word. That's another rule of Bible study that we'll go over in the future. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So God inspired it all. He gave it all. He is the power behind every word that's in your Bible and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is, are the things that are right. So, it is profitable for doctrine. The Bible will tell you, first and foremost, what is right. It is for reproof. It tells you what is wrong. It tells you what's right and it tells you what's wrong. The Bible will tell you both of those things. It's for correction. It tells you how to fix the things that are wrong. And it's for instruction in righteousness. Those are instructions on how to keep things fixed. So, it is to tell you what's right, doctrine. It is to tell you what is wrong. It is reproof. It is to tell you how to fix what's wrong, correction. And it will tell you how to keep it fixed, instruction in righteousness. And why those four things? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Your Bible, God is so smart. And he gave this thing to you as the most important tool that you will ever have in your life. This book he gave you because he knows how we are. He knows that we are fallible. He knows that we make mistakes. He knows that we can come up with our own plans and our own agendas. And so you getting into this Bible will tell you what's right, what's wrong, how to fix what's wrong, and how to keep it fixed in your life that you may glorify God. Christians that do not get into their Bible cannot glorify God properly. They come up with their own inventions of, well, oh, this would make God happy. Well, how do you know? Well, this will bring glory to God. Well, how do you know? I mean, I mean, honestly, how would you know? How would you know that thing you that came up in your mind would glorify God or not? Anybody? It says it in the Bible. And so the thing that you want to do, whatever it is, in God's name, is it what God told you to do? And so it is very, very easy. But this is where a lot of Christians believe that they can be good Christians without being in their Bible, and it's just not possible. It's not possible. It's absolutely not possible. So that's a very important verse. All right, next one. Look at this one. I love this verse. Psalm 138, verse 2. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God has magnified his word above his name. God is known by his words. His reputation is based upon what the Bible says. And that is why I stand very strong on the position that if you find one error in your Bible, I'm done. I am absolutely done because God's done. This is his book. And so if there's one thing in his book that is a lie or a contradiction, then God is a liar and we should not even be here tonight. Psalm 130, verse 2 is a great verse. And then look at Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God, and who is that? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. yes. Jesus. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that could actually be the very word of God itself, like the scriptures. But then look at the next verse. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. So the verse before it says the word of God, but then in verse 13, it says his sight. So the word of God is a person. So the way that you handle the scriptures is the way you handle God. The way you treat your Bible is the way that you treat Jesus. And that is a conviction to me. That is a conviction to me. Because if I don't put my heart and soul into reading and studying and giving God my heart just through those things, then I'm not giving God the proper respect that he's due. If you neglect reading your word throughout the week, you're neglecting God, and that's how you treat him. Because God and his word cannot be separated. They can't. You cannot separate the Bible from God. The way you treat God is the way you treat the Bible. The way you treat the Bible is the way you treat God. Very important. Very important. And that is why people that truly love God will do these five things. They will, first of all, read the Bible. They will read the Bible. Number two, they will memorize the Bible. They will study the Bible. Number three, they will meditate on the Bible. Number four, And they will love the Bible. Number five, they will read the Bible. They will memorize the Bible. They will study the Bible. They will meditate on the Bible. And they will love the Bible. If you truly love God, those five things will exist in your life. And I would say, for most Christians, there is an imbalance with those things. There are some Christians that are good at reading, but they're not really good at memorizing they don't really know how to study their Bible, but they do think about the things that God teaches them from the Bible. So they'll meditate. But really loving the Bible means you do all five things that you read it, you memorize it, you study it, you meditate on it. You think about it all the time. That's what God told Joshua do in Joshua one eight that he is to meditate in it. How much? Day and night, day and night. He's thinking about it all the time. And really, that goes to anything that you love when you really think about it. I mean, you think about it day and night. You think about it all the time. You can't wait to do whatever it is, that thing that you're loving in your heart and your mind. You think about it all the time. God wants you to love him because he loves you. And think about this for a second. How much does God think about you? I don't care where you're at in your relationship with God tonight. Maybe you don't even have a relationship with God tonight. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much he thinks about you? He thinks about you day and night all the time. He can't stop thinking about you. This is why he died for you. And if God loves us that way, you know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to love him that way in return. And I fall extremely short because I'm selfish. And we all can be. But we need stuff like this to rekindle some of those things in our heart and in our mind. All right. So, how would you rate your desire and your love for the Bible in your life right now? So just take a second and just rate it. Just between you and God, how would you rate your desire and love for the Bible in your life right now? And be honest about it. And then I want you to even think, are you willing to do something more? Do you want to grow in this area of your life? I hope you do. I really hope you do. All right. So, once you did that real quick... Go ahead and turn to Exodus 16. Exodus 16. One more thing I want to take a look at, and then we're going to briefly go through the uh, rules of Bible study at a very high level. Exodus chapter 16. There's a whole lot we could talk about, but we're just going to work through this. I had a lot of cross-references, but we don't have time to hit all the cross-references, so we'll just hit whatever we can. All right. Exodus 16. Don't neglect your morning manna. Don't neglect your manna. Exodus 16. Okay. So at this time in history, Israel is wandering in the wilderness. Um, God is supernaturally providing for them everything that they need. Um, I love this whole story. It's amazing. How, how long did they spend in the wilderness? Forty years. And the number 40 in the Bible is a time of trials and testing. And during 40 years, did they af- ever have to go and find food? No. Did they ever have to go and find water? No. No. God provided it for them from a rock. (laughs) Just water springing out of a rock. Did they ever have to go and find clothes or shoes? No. No. Because God miraculously kept them intact. And he did that all the way up until they crossed over Jordan into the promised land. And once they crossed over into the promised land, then the manna ceased. And they had to take care of themselves from the land. And there's a great lesson in all that, which we don't have time to go into tonight. So chapter 16, take a look at verse 13. We're going to talk about manna. All right. So verse 13, And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp. So God's providing for them quails and manna. And in the morning, the dew lay round about the host. So just imagine dew on the ground, that they go to bed at night, they wake up in the morning and there's dew on the ground. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, it is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Okay, so this is interesting. So in verse 13 through 14, uh, you find out that every morning God provided supernatural dew that was this grain or this seed. So it was a little small round thing. Like it just says it. it's a round thing. Like how do you describe it? I don't know. It's like a round thing. <laughs> it's just out there. And then it says it's like the hoar frost. Anyone know what that is? What is frost? What? what? Cold, water. cold water. So cold it's frozen, <laughs> and frozen water can take the color of. That it's white, like the hoarfrost. So that's one of the King James terms, hoarfrost. The hoary head is called the white head. Uh, so the gray hair. So it's like grayish, whitish thing that would, that would be on the ground. And it was this little round thing. And literally, manna, in verse 15, they call it manna. It, that word it literally means, what is it? <laughs> so so they, came out, they came out of their tent and they're like, what is it? Yes. That's what we're going to call it. What is it? But it's like this little round white thing. I mean, what are we supposed to do with it? All right. So God tells them what to do. So every morning, God provided this for them. And it's really interesting because the Bible in the scriptures is is equated to water and to bread. Uh, And so you have this bread that he says, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you in verse 15. And so you have this whole thing unfold right here. All right. So verse 16, this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. "'Gather of it every man according to his eating, "'an omer for every man according to the number of your persons. "'Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. "'And the children of Israel did so, "'and gathered some more, some less. "'And when they did meet it with an omer, "'he that gathered much had nothing over, "'and he that gathered little had no lack. "'They gathered every man according to his eating.' And Moses said, let no man leave of it until the morning. Okay, so they would go out and they were supposed to collect an omer, an omer, all right? So this omer, in case you don't know what it is, is the 10th part of an ephah. Anyone, yeah. anyone do those measurements? It works out to be about seven pints, all right? So seven pints of manna according to their eating. So there are some people that are bigger, that are smaller, have bigger appetites, smaller appetites. God says, go out and collect as much as will satisfy you. So they would go out and they would collect an omer, some more, some less, and God provided it for them. And everyone gathered and you had all this. And then there was not supposed to be left anything that's unused the following morning. Now, what's interesting about this is that God provides what you need every single day. So if we're going to equate this to the Bible and the Bible being your morning manna or your manna during the day, god is willing to give you everything that you need for your day do you go out and collect it or do you starve spiritually because god has provided something for you every single day every single day god has provided something for you every time you open up the bible and read even if it's just one verse five verses 15 minutes five hours. I don't know how much you spend in the Bible, but whatever it is, God has provided something for you. And here's the thing. Look at what it says in verse, um, let's see here, verse 16, chapter 16, verse uh, 19. He says, and let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto Moses, But some of them left of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. So God said, Go out and collect it. Go out and get what I have provided for you today, your word. And I want you to go get it so that way it will sustain you for that day. But if you leave it out, guess what's going to happen? It's going to rot, and it's going to go away. The sun's going to beat down, it. it's going to melt, and it's going to go away. So whatever God has for you that day, if you're not willing to go out and get it, it will be gone. How many days has God wanted to teach you something on that day, and you refuse to collect it? And now the lesson that he had prepared for you is now wasted, and it's gone. I mean, for real. I can't tell you how many times I've opened the Bible and it's been very little or might have been a lot. And it's exactly what I needed that day. It was something to encourage my heart or something that I was going to face later on in the day or, or, or whatever. And that's why even when you read the Bible, you shouldn't just read the Bible just to read it, but read it. And if something stands out to you, man, write that down. Because then if I read something and then I write it down, I'm more apt to remember it. So if something happens later on in the day, it's not just like, oh, I did my daily Bible reading. And it's just completely out of my head. And then I go on living the rest of my life just checking off my Christian checklist. No, God provided this for your sustenance. So whatever he provides for you that day, you better gather it and you better do something with it because he's giving it to you. And if you don't use it, it's going to go, it's going to rot. And if you don't go out and collect it, it's going to melt and it's going to go away and it's going to be gone. And the lesson that God had for you will absolutely be gone. Now take a look at this. Verse 22. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he told them, This is that which the Lord hath said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and seethe that ye will seethe, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. So there was one exception to this rule. And that was on the Sabbath day, there would not be any extra manna. Like there would be no manna on the ground, there be nothing. So on the day before, so their Sabbath day was what day? Saturday. So on Friday, when they would go out, they would collect twice as much because on Saturday, there would be nothing on the ground and what they collected would not rot. So God, that was the only exception to the rule. Okay? And so then it continued and the process happened for 40 years. 40 years. Just continuously. 360 days in the Jewish calendar for 40 years, God provided this for them until they crossed over into the promised land. All right. And so then take a look at verse. Um, let's see here. Which verse is it? Verse 30. 31. OK. All right. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like coriander seed white and it tasted of it like it was wafers made with honey. I love that. So that coriander seed, if you were to look it up um, online, you'd find out that it's a little round seed. Uh, Coriander seed is actually brown. That's why it says it's like coriander seed, but it was white. So it it looks like a coriander seed. It's a little little, uh, ball of a seed and it's white. And when they tasted of it, it was made uh, and it tasted like wafers made with honey. Now, what's interesting about that is to go over to Numbers chapter 11. So Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy... I'm sorry, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers. Sorry, I skipped a book. Numbers 11. I want you to see this. This is something else that's really cool that I don't want to pass over. All right, so Numbers verse 11. Okay, or chapter 11. Um, okay, so now they're complaining. All right, they're complaining about what God's provided for them. In verse 6, It says, But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. So they're whining about it. Verse 7, And the manna was as coriander seed. There it is. And the color thereof is the color of bedellum. And the people went about and gathered it, and look at what they did, and ground it in mills or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil and wafers and honey, as well as you, as you compare it back to Exodus. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. So they would take the seed and then they would grind it and they would make it into like a flower, and then they would bake it. They would bake it with oil and other things, and they would make cakes out of it. And it tasted absolutely amazing. And so, it's a, what's really neat about this application, because we're, we're going back to what the Bible says and really your, what God has provided for you, is if you go out and you open up the Bible and you collect what God has for you, are they just going to pop these seeds in their mouth and just start chewing on them? What did they have to do? They had to do work. They had to take those seeds and start to grind them into powder and then bake them and then eat them. When you read the Bible, do you get whatever God has for you and then you take it, you meditate on it, you grind it, you make it into whatever it's supposed to be so it actually apply to your life? Do you actually do that? Because if you don't do that, if you don't open up the Bible and relate it to something that's going on in your life, then it has no benefit to you whatsoever, You're just reading it like any other Christian is, like I mentioned before, the Christian checklist, and then you're done. You have to do that. You take the word of God and you apply it to your life. You take the Bible and how does that become personal for you? What is God trying to teach you personally with where you're at and what's going on in your life? If you never do that, it's not going to do any good for you. So I wanted to make sure to show you that. And then the other thing that we find out from the, uh, the passage in Exodus is that God commanded Moses to keep an omer of manna in the ark in a golden pot as a reminder. And they ate this manna for 40 years, like we already talked to him, talk, talked about. And it stopped showing up every morning as soon as they crossed over into the promised land. So God, it is going to provide that for you. And what a beautiful picture that is, because one day when we finally get to the promised land, when we finally get to be in God's presence, there's no more need for the Bible anymore. There's no more need because our faith shall be sight. So there's no need for us to actually have the scriptures. And by that time, we are going to have a glorified body that we're going to be able to know the scriptures inside and out anyway. So it's really kind of cool. So the whole point of this, two big things, is that God and his words cannot be separated. They can't. You cannot separate God from his words. The way you treat the Bible is the way you treat God. The way you treat God is the way you treat the Bible. And secondly, don't neglect what God has for you each and every day. If you don't know where to start, talk to somebody. And it doesn't have to be like this big thing. It can just be something very, very small. You know, don't overwhelm yourself. There's a lot of people that think, well, if I'm going to be a good Christian, well, then I need to start reading like five chapters a day. No, just do something. Do something. And when something stands out to you where you have a question, don't just let it go. Ask the question. Ask someone the question that you have. Anytime I'm discipling with any of the guys that I meet with, I tell them, When you're reading in the Bible and you come across something and you have a question, write it down and tell me about it. Because I want to be able to answer that question for you. If there's a verse that pops out to you that you're like, oh man, this is such a good verse. I totally need this. Write it down so that way it can actually get into your heart a whole lot easier. You'll be able to retain it in your mind a lot better. So if you're going to do this, you've got to do it. The way you treat the Bible is the way you treat God. Don't ever forget that. And don't neglect what God has for you each and every day. All right. So let's talk about the 15 rules real quick. So these are the 15 rules that we're going to go over. So turn your papers over. Just going to go through these very briefly. We're going to start off next week talking about the context factor. The context is the most important rule of Bible study that we will go over. And uh, and some of these things will seem a little bit repetitive when we go through it, but there's a reason for that. So... Um, There's a way to remember all 15 a lot easier, and I'll I'll share that with you a little bit later. But I want to go through each and every one and show you why these different rules are so important. So number one, the context factor. The context of a passage must always be considered to determine its proper meaning. You have to know what's going on around that verse. So if you're reading along your Bible and you're like, what is that? What is going on here? Why did they say that? Or why is that verse written there? Well, what are the verses before it? What are the verses after it? What's the chapter about? What is that book about? Where does that book sit in the Bible? These are all very important questions you have to ask. Because most people that find themselves in false doctrine do not take passages in context. They can't. All right, number two, the people group factor. The Bible is written to three groups of people. The Jews, the Gentiles, and the Church of God. And that's very important because sometimes in the Bible, there are passages and books that are written specifically to the Jewish people. Sometimes there are books in the Bible that are written specifically to Gentiles. And there's a chunk of books that are written specifically for the church, for born again believers. And a lot of people, again, that are in false doctrine will take verses and chapters and books that are written to Jews and they will apply it to themselves as born again believers and they get all completely messed up. And we'll talk about that. Number three, the time period or the dispensation factor. The Bible has divisions or time periods in which God did things a certain way. Quick example, Adam and Eve. God required of Adam and Eve to do what? Be fruitful fruitful and multiply and to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did he talk to Adam once about the shed blood of Jesus Christ and trusting in him and him alone to be saved? No. Do you know why? It didn't happen yet. <laughs> so God could not require Adam to believe in the gospel according to what was going to happen in the future. God required from Adam, be fruitful, and multiply, don't eat of the tree. Is that simple? That's a really easy example. We're going to go through several other ones like that. So there are times in which God did things a certain way. The application factor, number four. There are three applications to Bible passages. Every single verse, every single passage, there are three applications. Historical, what happened in history. Devotional, how does that apply to you today? And doctrinal, that's a deeper spiritual truth that God's trying to to teach you about his character or something he's going to do in the future. Number five, every word and every event factor. God has chosen every word and event in the Bible for a purpose, on purpose. God did not make mistakes Every word and every event is where it is for a reason. Number six, comparing scripture factor. The Bible is of no private interpretation. All interpretations must be made by comparing scripture with other scripture. The Bible must always agree from beginning to end, and it does. Creation factor. Number seven, the invisible things of God can be understood by studying creation, which he has made. So you can understand some incredible spiritual truths about God by studying creation. Number eight, the apparent contradiction factor. Always give the Bible the benefit of the doubt if you find apparent contradictions. There are no contradictions in the Bible, but there are apparent contradictions. There are things that seem like they contradict, but they really don't. And there's a reason why God put them in there. Number nine, the consistency factor. When approaching the Bible, you must pay attention to the consistency of God. God is always consistent from Genesis to Revelation, table of contents to the maps. God is always consistent. He does not change. Literal factor. Always take a passage literally exactly as it says unless it is clear in the passage that you are dealing with symbolism. And we'll show you some examples of that when we get there. Number 11, the attitude factor. Be prepared to change what you have been taught or have believed when you find it goes contrary to the Bible. Always let the Bible be in charge. If there's something that you've learned from your past and the Bible seems to come against it, Drop what you believe and believe the Bible. Number 12, clarity factor. Never violate a clear passage when trying to understand an obscure one. Because there are a lot of obscure passages in the Bible, but there are a lot of clear passages, so you should never conflate the two. Uh, Number 13, question factor. Never base a doctrine on a question. Pay attention to punctuation. God uses questions for a specific reason, and we should never base major doctrines on statements that are questions. Fourteen, confirmation factor. Never base a doctrine on a single verse or passage. There's a lot of Christians that do that. If there's a major doctrine in the Bible, God will repeat himself and there will be multiple passages to back up what that doctrine actually is. And 15, maturity factor. Don't panic if you do not completely understand something. Remember that God is infinitely wise. You will never completely understand God. But he did write his Bible to be understood. So there are certain things that you will understand more over time. So I'm really excited to get into this. Um, I hope you guys can take the things that we talked about from a devotional nature and really apply those things um, even tomorrow when you guys open up the Bible and read something uh, tomorrow. But just do something. If you've gotten to a point where you're not really doing anything with the Bible, just do something. Even if it's just small, do something. And then the things that you'll learn each and every week, you can apply to what you read uh, each and every day. Okay, done. All right, any questions before we close? All right, Nana? Okay, any obscure questions that have nothing to do with what we were talking about? <laughs> okay. I know, he's in the Navy. Jack, Jack, if you're listening on the podcast, eventually we do miss you. Um, well... At least all of us, except for Andy, miss you. (laughs) All right. Okay, let's close in prayer then. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for our time tonight. Uh, I do pray that the things that we talked about would um, uh, really convict us and that we would desire to glorify you truly from our heart. Um, I pray, God, that we would not neglect the things that you have for us each and every day. It's easy sometimes to let the day just start and really uh, take up our time and our attention and uh and for us just to leave you behind um in reality you know you have not left us behind you never leave us behind you always provide what we need i just pray we'd be faithful to go and collect it as you provided manna for the israelites and that we would do something with it that we would take it and grind it in a mill and in a mortar and that we would bake something with it and apply it to our life the same way that they did with the manna help us to remember those things and help us to not stray away from them i pray this series will be a blessing And uh, I pray that we'd be able to uh, even reach some other people through this and that they'd be able to understand your word uh, better as a result. Thank you for our time together tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.